Hello, friends, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to uh, another edition of We Talk As One. I'm James Kirkham. Uh, this is The Balcony. The Balcony, of course, is the place you always have the best conversation. And this is what this is about. It's about going a bit long form, diving deep, getting under the skin of stuff, not cutting it short, allowing our brilliant guests and our fantastic experts to actually get the chance to, to speak and tell us the stories, often how they got to where they are today, and all that sort of good stuff. Bit different from last week. Last week we were speaking to, uh, my guest was in the States. This week we are, albeit uh, COVID friendly and safe socially distanced, we are here in Defected HQ. We are live in London town right now. So if you are watching, do get your questions in. They're gonna come up on this big screen, which even with my terrible eyesight, I'm hopefully gonna be able to see. We got uh, moderator Mitch all over the comments and producer Sam's over there. So it's the full team and we're ready to go. I'm delighted to welcome Luke Southern uh, here today. Luke is CEO at Drum which is Omnicom Media Group's award-winning content and creative business. This whole session is about music and brands and frankly, that kind of kismet synergy that's going on right now and how it might all lead and where it goes from here. Now, Luke, it's been a long time. It has. We met, uh, was it 2000, 2001? I think so. I think that, um, really, that really ages us, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does us. age us. We don't need to dwell on that. <laughs> um, Let's go back to that, because I always like uh, my guests to really tell us how it started. There's a lot of people who will be watching live today, young people. I met you, I think, when you were on the graduate trainee scheme, kind of a famous trainee scheme at Sony Music. Mm. You're now the CEO of one of the world's best kind of content creative brand businesses. Tell us a little bit how the hell that happens. Um, well, first of all, it's great to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me in Defected HQ. Um, gosh, how did it happen? It feels like... You know, 20 years has gone in the blink of an eye, to be honest. Yeah. And um, while it's obviously a, a journey that's meandered a little bit for me personally, um, I guess it, it, it kind of started with, it actually started with my, my love for music, right? I was at uni, um, you know, I was kind of studying uh, like a generic media studies degree. Mm -hmm. um, and in my spare time, I was, I was kind of trying to, you know, pay the bills or whatever. So um, did, did a little bit of DJing, not particularly good at it, you know, spending my student loan on overpriced um, white labels from the local record <laughs> shop, you know, so 12 quid a pop. God knows, God knows how I justified that. Rather than uh, eating. Yeah, exactly. And um, I got into student radio. I loved it. You know, I like really loved the idea of um, doing student radio, broadcasting to, you know, like two people um, <laughs> around, around Cardiff City. Uh, and I got to meet a lot of record label people. Um, and there's one guy in particular um, who said to me, look, you know, you're really into this, you're running this student radio station, you know, we're supplying with all the promo records, because obviously this back in the day mm. where, you know, it's kind of anything to get to, to get it on air. And um, mm. uh, he said, there's a, there's a grad scheme going, uh, you know, you're interested, come down to London, have an interview, did all of that. And I, I got onto the scheme with a couple of other people. Um, and it was just a brilliant experience. And so that was more about getting into music than the label, or did you think, look, I'd love to work at a record label? Or was it, I'd love to be amongst the music. It, it, it was the, like, the natural thing for me, to be honest. Like, I was loving music, you know, I loved it more than my degree. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of fumbled through to get a degree, but I spent most mm -hmm. of my time in dark spaces like this, you know, <laughs> right next to a speaker loving and listening to the music and so what were you listening to about then so this is the early so this is the end of the 90s yeah like end of the night well you know house music in general really mm -hmm. um u.s house was like my um my kind of favorite choice and there were a couple of good there were a couple of good stores in in cardiff where i was um 
and uh, y- you know you'd often have like Roger Sanchez come to town. Wow. Um, big deal, big yeah. deal in Wales, big deal anywhere. Yeah. Right? But um, go and see him at the weekend, and then you you know it's that classic like, what's that track? I need to hunt it down. You go to the record store; they'd have like ten copies on white. You pay your money, you get it, you take it back and play it in the student clubs. But um, uh, I, I kind of was buying all the Masters at Work stuff. I was buying anything that Sulfuric were putting out. Awesome. Um, so very again, fitting. Paying the premium. Yeah, well, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then obviously we're, we're defected, you know, we're defected launched. And I was kind of snapping up every release. I, I love the old packaging, actually, the kind of purple into grey or green yeah, into yeah. grey sleeves and anything that had a full intention remix. <laughs> I was all great. over that. So I feel I feel pretty humble today, to be honest, to be well, we feel humble, HQ. haven't you, in our oh, humble well. abode here in London town in Shoreditch? It's, and I, I didn't know any of those answers, so that's, <laughs> that's actually really nice. This is even better synergy than I realised. Yeah, in fact, to be honest, I, um, I remember actually I'd, I'd started at the record label and, and you know, defected launch, and I was like, oh, I think I, I, I might write a letter to Simon Dunmore. Oh, you'll love if, that. If he wants to. Dunmore loves to a letter. On. But I, I didn't. I obviously didn't. <laughs> the rest is history. You're you sh- here. I'm not. You should have done because there's some good examples. I think Calvin Harris once did that, and that led to a single, yeah, which is a, another story yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah. Now, without jumping too far ahead, you didn't end up. We're not sit, sat here today as the UCO of a label. You're in a yeah. different space. But tell us a little bit about that journey, because again, we've got a lot of brilliantly young people who uh, watch this, well, of any age, but they're also keen to understand how to get into this thing, but also that your career can perhaps move into different places, be it gaming, for example. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think music's been a thread, right? Mm. A thread through my career, as much as um, uh, I I would say sort of content and and creativity. But I didn't start out going, I want to work in an ad ad network or ad agency. You know, working at, at the label, getting the opportunity to work in all the different areas of the business from kind of, you know, your sort of frontline marketing through to... Um, actually, where I ended up, the more what was called at the time strategic, it's now like commercial kind of right. bit of the record label, pumping out like TV albums and, and yeah, things yeah. like that. And a lot of sync, actually. There's a lot of sync and licensing. Not that I was doing it, but I had a lot of exposure to it. And I was like, oh, okay. So, because you know, back then I didn't really give it much consideration. Music is clearly a really powerful force and it, it can kind of make or break an ad, right? It can make of or course. break a piece of commercial mm. communication. Maybe we'll get into that later, but um, I thought I thought after five years, you know what? I, I quite like the idea of trying to see what it's like working for a brand and seeing how not just music but creativity in general can kind of work a little bit differently, or how does it come together? And that ultimately resulted in me moving to PlayStation um, at a really really fortunate time. Actually, it was it was around the, the launch of the PS3. Wow, wicked. Um, you know, this is this is pre iPod, yeah. right? This is um, this is sort of kind of not even nascent Facebook. YouTuber just launched. It was like the hottest sort of consumer electronics gadget Absolutely. Um, at the time, and I had the, the the kind of opportunity to help launch that across across Europe. Um, and the console launch, what it kind of is now, to be fair, I guess it's maintained it is an entertainment event. Of almost incomparable levels, right? Yeah, the yeah. launch of that new it, it, it was a, It was a massive deal. I remember the launch. It was at Virgin Mega Stores on Oxford Street. There we go. A kind of all-night opening. Blast those, from the past. Remember those days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All-night opening, big crowds, you know, queue up, be the first to buy it, get the press coverage in, in the national you know, tabloids and whatever the next day. Um, and that was just the UK echoing yeah. around the world. And obviously, it was quite interesting seeing the PS5 launch just before Christmas 
you know, similar kind of path, Very. really, but with big global moments. Mm. I suppose the thing at the time was that that generation of console um, was trying to kind of break down this idea of convergence of one device that does everything, you know, before we had smartphones. Mm. And I guess, you know, music didn't necessarily play such a big role in it then. But for me, it, it, in the games I was playing just as a punter, it was always kind of such a vital part mm. of the atmosphere. Mm. There was a, you might know it, you might have played it, there was a um, game series that, that I personally loved, Metal Gear Solid, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, Harry Gregson Williams, like who composed certainly, you know, the, the second version of that, the, the music for it, and actually he scored loads of films as well. I just loved the, the, the sort of atmospheric yeah. feel you get from it. Anyway, I digress. So No, I love that. We, we covered it, um, well, we didn't cover it. We, we spent some time on this very subject in last week's show. We had uh, someone from Venn over in the States talking exactly that. And we yeah. were just talking about, frankly, the sheer importance of those elements. We got into other things like the notion of open worlds, how music, dance music at the moment, mm. there's a you know, recent piece of research is kind of indicating that you know people use it to effectively you know enhance their performance in gaming for hours and hours so during a pandemic rather than falling out of stumbling out of nightclubs people are stumbling bleary-eyed out of their consoles yeah. at three or four a.m and there's yeah. an interesting crossover shall we say yeah I, I i agree and you know um i think it, it it's kind of i don't know it's, a, it's been a crutch right through COVID yeah. for so many people um not just in terms of keeping them sane while they're working or you know relaxing but well the fine, interesting the fine work that you know you guys here at Defected have done with with the virtual festivals and, and giving people hope, right? Giving them something to, I don't know, co corral, yeah, coerce yeah. around in order to. I think the coming together, yeah, we were trying to do that with the virtual festivals and some of the virtual activities and events that we still do, but the coming together that gaming has done too, whether it be the likes of EA and their FIFA tournaments, mm. and I know they did some interesting work, the launch of FIFA and the play at home style stuff. Mm coalescing around something when frankly you can't coalesce with anyone else anywhere else i agree is it's kind of vital and so but you didn't stay and remain in gaming right so did no. you learn a lot was it very different from sony music from label life yeah it was very different it was you know it's brand marketing right mm. whereas i suppose in music you're you know you're you're not really marketing a label you're marketing the artists who are brands of course in their own right but you're you're marketing the brand or certainly then but you're selling product you're trying to shift Yep. Back then, CDs or you know the nascent days of kind of downloads, and then obviously the you know drop off of that and mm. into streaming. Mm. Um, I learned loads. Like I, I learned loads about how you construct, you know, a compelling narrative in a short form capacity. I and ads, you know, you kind of distill and, and make it kind of punchy and hit all those emotional high notes. Um, and I, uh, long story short, went through a couple of other places. Ended up at Virgin Media, mm -hmm. uh, looking after partnerships and mm -hmm. content and, and all the all the goodies, like all the goodness. And um, music, of course, you know, deep, deep in the veins of Virgin as an organization um, from, you know, the early days of Virgin Records mm -hmm. right the way through. Virgin Media being quite a different business, but having a long-standing link with, um, uh, well, at the time, with Fee Festival. And um, those that... <laughs> I enjoyed many moments driving around in a um, in a golf buggy backstage. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At, at that festival, it was great, great fun. But always trying to build a link to the customer. To you know, I guess when you're selling a utility like broadband and TV, it, it can kind of become just as ubiquitous. It is just, as, yeah. as like it's it's like a water pipe, yeah. electricity pipe, 
you know, I know we're kind of lost without it now, mm. this connectivity. So trying to dial up the, the, the kind of entertainment credentials and using music to do it. I remember we did this crazy stunt uh, for the opening night, uh, like the first um, day of the festival, I can't remember what year it was. Uh, and it was a bit of a, do you remember Don't Forget Your Toothbrush? Of course. Do you remember that vibe? Yeah, it's huge. We did franchise. this kind of live, last minute, give away the final tickets to V Festival, live ad break takeover on Channel 4 with, um, with Keith Lemon hosting. Awesome. From the sort of Virgin Arena that we built, live on Facebook at the same time. This is before Facebook Live as well, so it's all quite complicated yeah, and hard to I do. Bet. Massive trucks, you know, <laughs> massive live broadcast trucks, not like the setup you can do now. Um, and it was bonkers. It was bonkers. It was fly by the seat of your pants stuff. Uh, I was at times I was thinking, this is, you know, it was like a major, you know, national brand owned by a multinational. I can't believe they're letting us get away with this. And you know, if they saw the kind of what was going on behind the scenes, the craziness, you, you wouldn't have thought. But so. you're you're talking about something with such fun there yeah, uh, uh, as part fun. of it, and which I love. And but and by the way, I know a lot of people tuning from various different countries watching this, which is great. So Virgin Media, you know, effectively, you would, as you said, it's about bringing entertainment to what is a utility, piping into people's homes, yeah, right? Yeah. But is that something you can pursue? If you're young, if you're 16, 17 now, and you're thinking of your career, your job, can you pursue passion? Because you just mentioned three things there that, frankly, a lot of people, perhaps they wouldn't consider, if you like, the broadband element as passionate, but what you're describing of mucking around at festivals, you know, putting on incredible TV-like moments or being at a record label promoting artists or yeah. working and launching a PlayStation. Is that something you can go, do you know what, I'm going to do that, I'm going to follow a passion? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, look, I, it, it, didn't, it didn't just all fall into place. There, there was a little bit of thought. Bit of work. Probably, yeah, a bit of work <laughs> and a little bit of thought in my mind. I, I, I just had this mindset that, you know, you don't, you don't want to become stale, right? You don't want to... If you're not enjoying something, and this is easy to say, this is a kind of pre-pandemic time, of course, where perhaps it was easier to, to, to kind of jump around and try new things. But I, I always feel like as long as I'm learning, as long as I'm kind of learning from brilliant people, yeah. and that, that's the key, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. I agree. You know, that have more experience, that you're like, you feel a bit out of your depth. Yeah, I love it. You know, you're kind of... The imposter syndrome's kicking in. Tell me about that, because I, I said that the moment I started in music with Defected. Right. Like, for whatever else you've done in your life, it's kind of irrelevant, because you walk around a place with people with an encyclopedic knowledge, and you feel like an imposter. Could, could Have you always felt that? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think, um, I think that's all right. I think yeah. as long as you embrace it, and you use it as a reason to, you know, get up in the morning, and not just get up in the morning, but you, you channel that yeah. into something positive. I mean, clearly, if you let it stray too far mm. it can be um disruptive mm. And, mm. and sort of destructive to you but you've got to yeah you've got to put in the graft but you can kind of make some of those decisions and, and kind of guide your career i'm just gonna uh, throw to a literary question so i'm gonna do get your questions in because uh, uh, it is live and I, we do appreciate all the comments and the engagement and as questions come in and they're relevant to something that Luke's just said, I'm going to try and pull them out. Uh, Mick Freak says, learning a thing off my here. There you go, Luke. You're already teaching people, which is great. Uh, Dariel2803 says, do you think brands will use immersive tech or gamification more to sell their products more? And as a result, more new musical acts become established. That's kind of interesting. We might talk a bit more about that, but top line, maybe from the more gaming bit. like. Yeah, I mean, um, I think, well... Gamification. I mean, there, there's some. There's there's been cracking campaigns in the past that have been, you know, sort of gamified to to, to kind of launch a brand or product. Actually, there's one from quite a few years ago for 
um, the Dark Knight, remember the yeah. Dark Knight movie? These kind of live, God, played yeah. out, immersive games that just drew I in the about audience. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, do you remember, do you, yeah. Um, there was a great company in the States called, uh, I think they were called um, 42 Entertainment. They would do these big, big sort yeah. of live. That was of such a big games. deal at the time. You've just deal. jogged my memory. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, worth worth yeah. checking out. But I think, um, I think if we're talking like immersive tech, uh, uh, my view of all technology when it comes to kind of communications is, uh, and kind of new gadgets and stuff is, you know, ultimately you're, you're kind of trying to build that authentic kind of connection with mm -hmm. the audience. And so if it's enabling of it, then, then go for it, right? Yep. If, it, if it helps, if it's additive, but where it just becomes about the technology in of itself, then, you know, that, that's not a particularly great story. And I think often actually in, in the industry that I'm in, the advertising industry, we get really hooked up on kind of new gadgets and new things. And so the focus tips to that, as opposed to, you know, why do the audience care? So don't, yeah, that, and that's the biggest thing, right? What are the fans, what do the punters actually what want? What do the punters want, yeah. So take us back into that journey then. So um, from, uh, from, the, from the young upstart intern at Sony Music via launching the world's biggest console to mucking around on the, Buggies at a V Festival, probably some work as well in the background. What next? Uh, well, then, then um, I, I landed where, where I am today. Um, there are a couple of other smaller roles in between. Uh, so, you know, now I'm at Drum. Um, I'm really lucky to be in, you know, what I consider to be a, a brilliant agency, surrounded by, you know, extremely talented, experienced and brilliant individuals. And, and you know, you described it kind of right at the start, really. We're owned by... On the Media Group, one of the, the sort of big ad networks, um, we make content for brands, right? You know, that can be anything from ads to, I don't know, entertainment formats um, through to kind of sort of editorial content with some of the world's biggest yeah. publishers and, and increasingly actually longer form programming. And, and for those who don't know or aren't familiar, you should check it out. It's like a proper creative content business, multiple award winning, all of that kind of good stuff. Um, Clients like TikTok and platforms like them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Packard, you know, um, God, uh, you know, we do some work with Diageo. Yeah. Historically with PayPal, with McDonald's. So when you're dealing with brands of that scale, and that's very much, I guess, you know, you're, you're running the shop. So I presume that top table conversation is a, is a chat that you're having often with, with people within the brand space. Tell me again about, um, about music and brands there. So from... My perspective right now, maybe as a result of this, and I hate going on about pandemic too much, but um, I think artists are probably more ready than ever. DJs were more ready, to, frankly, to lean in and say yes. Whereas it might be a little bit arm's length in the past, where they can stand on a stage and, you know, in the, in the, uh, if you're a band, or you can stand behind the decks and you can kind of be at arm's length. Yeah. Do you think the relationship is changing? And I love the idea as well that you've been at label and now you're running it within brands, and so you must see both sides of that coin. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is, you know, I'm surrounded by some brilliant people who, who make brilliant decisions for, for our clients about that, that kind of relationship and between sort of brands and, and artists. And like I said earlier, you know, actually in, in advertising, it's kind of a well-trodden convention, and you'll know this from, from yeah. you know, your prior experience, that, you know, rational messaging is great for kind of targeted sales but if you want to build a brand over time you've got to kind of elicit an emotional response right you know memory encoding all mm -hmm. of these things that comes from it um, and there's some fantastic data and reports about the power of creativity and 
you know, every year at Cannes Lions, which is the, the big ad festival that, you know, again, yeah. you're, you're well familiar with. We talk about the importance of creativity. Um, and in fact, there's a category for music in, it, in its own right now. But I was, I was looking at something the other day, very famous report, the long and short of it, just about the effectiveness of um, emotional messaging. And, and I, I think sometimes we overlook the importance of music within that, yeah. breaking that out as, yeah. a, as a specific, you know, make or break moment. Um, and so to bring it back to, to your point about, you know, are artists leaning in more, uh, are people, uh, are they more kind of accepting of new ways to engage? Y yeah, I, I think so. I think, I, think, um, I think that what has happened with the pandemic, like I said, you know, music has been one of those things that's given people hope and an outlet, whether that's consuming it themselves or being part of, you know, a mm. live festival or mm. whatever. And obviously with the live, live music shutdown, the artists have had to find different ways mm. to do it. Um, I think that the, the most important thing is that artist, brand, the connection is always authentic. You know, it feels like it's not forced. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, the world doesn't need another car ad with some talent in front of it, not necessarily a musician, that's kind of endorsing a product mm. and it feels mm. deeply, deeply mm. forced and, mm. you know, it's payday, that kind of stuff. Where it kind of bonds together and I guess it's mutually beneficial or you're creating you know, in the case of a lot of advertising, like a really nice piece of art, like the, um, do you remember the um, HomePod ad from a few years ago with uh, yeah. Spike Jones, you yeah. know, FK Twigs and yeah. that Anderson Pack track? That is just a beautiful, Feels perfect, entertaining it? four minute piece of mm. stuff, of content. Mm. But, you know, it's kind of brand, it's music, it's musicians. It's do you think that's just down to, for example, the quality of the idea or script, mm. or is it because it perhaps where the idea originates? In other words, I think traditionally, again, in, in the old days when you and I perhaps first met 20 years ago, uh, it would probably still be TV and then hoik it around yeah. until you find the right track to st stick on the bottom of it. Yeah. I'm being sort of slightly <laughs> facetious and simplistic, but you know, I definitely think there's been a shift now dynamically. Um, an example like that with an FK Twigs example, and there's artists throughout, really, in terms of each of their disciplines. Do you think it's where that something like that starts, or is it just down to the, the quality of the idea? Or I, I think. I think what we'll probably see is increasingly like, you know, collaboration, work with the artists, say, look, we really want to do something together. Let's, let's kind of, let, let's collaborate and let's, you know, let's try and make something happen. And um, again, you know, I, I personally wasn't involved in it. Brilliant team in drum and um, working with, with Warners and um, I think you might have a Warners guest coming up actually. You do, yeah. on, uh, on Thursday. Who, who, Thursday, who yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to talk about it. And, yeah. Uh, tap management, you know, we did a piece of work with, for TikTok with Dua Lipa, with Warners, oh, yeah. to um, really kind of bring her to the, the TikTok platform, bring a load of her fans that might not have been on the platform already, but also, you know, illustrate and, and kind of reinforce TikTok's commitment to music. Mm. You know, obviously, you've got everything on there now, but with their purchase of Musical.ly mm. and what became TikTok and this kind of platform for breaking new music, mm. Uh, the project we did, and you know, some of you might have seen it, we did a kind of hashtag challenge, levitating for a new single, yeah. co-creating that music video with that audience. That was, that was a real collaboration where you've got artists, you've got kind of platform, you've got 800,000 creators that you know, submitted, mm. whether it was kind of makeup ideas or kind mm. of dance routines, 16 of them get to go to LA, shoot the video with mm. Dua, and Warren Fu, who um, mm. directed uh, actually quite a few of the dark punk Amazing. videos. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Still <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I think when it's done like that, 
everyone wins, it's mutually beneficial, and you create a really nice moment, big cultural moment. You know, you create stuff that that probably wouldn't be possible if it just started with, we've got an idea over here, some commercial kind of creativity idea, let's just slap a track under it and be done. Do you think it could be done with many artists, or I mean, do it happens to be arguably, arguably the biggest artists in the world right now, mm. I'm sure many people would correct me otherwise, but there's a certain electro dance pop nature to her music that's probably incredibly befitting of a platform like TikTok. Do you think it's only certain people that you could uh, frankly do that with? Well, I, I don't think you'd have people dancing to something that was melancholy and, you know, no. um, <laughs> maybe, but, you know, never say never, right? And but it needs that yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it definitely does. Particularly if, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how the platform evolves because, you know, dance routines, doing stuff to music. What, what I think is quite interesting is um, often the hook that the, the creators kind of land on for TikTok for their kind of 15 second, you know, dance routine or whatever it is, or, and then hashtag challenge isn't necessarily the hook that I suspect the artist would have, mm. or the label would have mm. intended, the bit that kind of stick in people's mm. head, because it can just be a section of a song that you wouldn't have expected. And that's quite interesting for me because you'll have, you know, millions of people hearing a track but always on repeat, the same kind of hooky element of it. And they might they might not be aware of like, you know, who the track was by or what the rest of the song sounds like. But what does that mean for consumption mm. of music? Mm. And what does that mean for the role that kind of brands can play within it? And, but is the, and I don't mind talking about this, because I also think perhaps in being our age, you know, I'm sounding like we're terribly elderly, but the point is we were there pre, during, and now sort of, you know, the whole thing's exploded. I think went through a time with MySpace and everything else where it became a, competitive environment for platforms. And it was like, oh yes, but this is better. Whereas uh, we've both got young boys, for example, my, well, my 11 year old will watch four hours of Regent's Kids, some influencer on Twitch, mm -hmm. like literally religiously. He'll spend the majority of the time reporting as his piece to cam on yeah. TikTok, probably about football, but he'll message using WhatsApp on his friends. Point being, they couldn't care less. They're using it in a behavioral, they're not thinking like that, they're just using it when it is suitable for them. And I personally believe that's the nature of the beast full stop. We use things when required for what it's best at, be it lean in or conversation yeah, yeah, or quick yeah, message. Yeah. But is the hype around TikTok in terms of music for the uninitiated, is that right? Because it feels huge in terms of its ability for discovery and client of yours. Is it, is it continuing in that vein, do you see it? I, I, yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, they, they talk about, you know, um, it kind of starts on TikTok, right? They talk about mm. talk about kind of pop culture starting there, and it's a gateway. It's a, it's a gateway to um, maybe the same audience, slightly different audiences, different way in. You know, it's like it's like um, uh, buying products and and the, the, the sort of classic advertising funnel. You know, you you draw people in at the top, and then eventually you you mm. expect a sale. That doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. It's spaghetti junction. You, yeah. you use what you need. You come in from different entry points and. You know, that platform has gone from strength to strength. I think what they've done actually in terms of, you know, uh, uh, kind of brand safety, moderation, all of that stuff is, is exceptional. Really? And, um, yeah, I, I really I think it's you know, clearly got a bright future. And when you mention the piece that you did with, uh, with Dua, yeah. you've got so many parties involved there. And you just reference a few. You've got label, you've got uh, management, you've got artists, you've got platform, you've got content, you've got the, the whole, there's a lot of different kind of parties. But would you say that's, do you think that will become more of a template where open discussion right from the start between artists, probably the platform that ends up on people like you guys yeah. to make it happen as opposed to some ivory tower, here's our script, now go and execute. Is, it, is that more realistic now? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And I think everyone's got to be prepared to, um, 
you know, bundle in, right? And there's a lot more sort of rolled up sleeves approach to it. It's not like, yes, make it so, you know, just go and do it. Yeah, and, and then, yeah, 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 bring it back. Those days, and also things need to happen at pace. They need, they need to happen quickly. You know, the world moves far quicker and you haven't got the luxury of 16 weeks of navel gazing and, and sort of, you know, Agreed. dissecting and going, oh, is this going to be right or not? Yeah, you've got to get it right. And you don't want to, you know, when, when you're working on behalf of brands, you've got to be really, really careful. You mm. know, obviously need to respect their values mm. and, you know, their audience and make sure you tread the fine line. But um, you've also got to be prepared to kind of test, learn, try different things to kind of keep fueling that engagement. Tell us more about that fine line, because, again, I think you are in a, a very specific position who have been at both sides, all sides, if you want to call it that, perimeters of this sort of fence, right? Uh, does that respect exist both sides? Can anyone do more? Should agencies or people in Adland and stuff like that, should they be frankly learning how to work better with artists or vice versa? Do you think there needs to be a bit of a better mutual understanding or is it, is it in great shape? Uh, it, when it works, it works. Right. It works well. Um, uh, there's always more that both sides can do. You know, I think sometimes uh, uh, it might be underplayed about the value that music's bringing to that particular creative execution, that piece. Um, it, it, like you said, we, we, we've moved on, I think, a lot from it being an afterthought. Let's, well, not an afterthought, but unless it's integral to the idea, it's just kind of a soundbed. Um, uh, but, and, and similarly, you know, I think perhaps artists can lean in a little bit more at times and, and be a bit more open about mm. what, they're, what they're giving and what they're able to provide and, you know, not being standoffish about, well, I'm going to give that much and that's it. You know, if both parties are going to it with the right mindset, then I think you're on for a, um, a good and sort of successful piece of work. I definitely think the start of the, um, the pandemic, we saw a lot of that. I think, um, I guess from because of time, mm. you couldn't get hold of any artist, DJ, really, full stop. Everyone's on the road, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like, well, we know you're not. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, because, I think something that happened interesting at the time was this idea of proximity where suddenly they could do more. I know effectively we did like, Croatia of course was called off, the, the, the kind of the, you know, the, the sort of the really highlight of our calendar year in August. So the guys instead put on this sort of secret Zoom party for those who had already bought tickets. But the point is their ability to chat live to the DJs that had just been playing to the 2000 people on yeah. Zoom or whatever. There's a closeness, personal. Yeah. personal. Yeah. Do you think that's gonna come through more? And if so, that's good, isn't it? That, that's, that's a great thing. I mean, how that works in the, the sort of hybrid world, right? You know, this, this mm. and I'm sure you guys are, are considering Explain it. Explain it again a lot of people. Well, what, what, what do we mean by that? Well, what, what I mean is, you, you know, as the world starts to come out of COVID and, and we start to recover, and obviously in the UK specifically, we, we got some direction on that last night from, from the government. Mm. Um, like me, like you, you know, we want to go back to being in spaces with people, that physical experience, whether it's music or you know watching a movie or, or whatever it may be, going on holiday, um, and yet there's still going to be an audience for, uh, you know, let's say festivals that might not be able to go there. Agreed. And suddenly, what the pandemic has opened up is, oh, you know what? I mean, it's just like working. Agreed. Oh, you, you can run a business mm. remotely. Mm. You can you know connect with people all around the world. You can be efficient mm. because of. Zoom or Teams mm. or Google Hangouts or whatever platform you're using, but that shouldn't take the place mm. of the physical kind of interaction, the live experience. Mm. You know, I mean, you invited me to, to come to the studio mm. today or do it remotely. 
I'm here. You know? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> because, because there's something that you miss. But being prepared to serve both audiences and increase your audience base for the people that mm. can't get there, mm. that is an exciting proposition, I think. I, I love that thought. I, I don't think you are ever going to... No, no one wants to either displace or try and do better than that night in Ibiza or that festival in Croatia or, or whatever version of that is your love, Glastonbury. But if it is purely about the music at that moment or the band that is on that stage or the DJ that is behind those decks, then it's almost there's no excuses now not yeah. to allow or be giving the means or paying for whatever the, the system is. Yeah. That's now commonplace. It's no longer novelty. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, the, the ability to talk direct with a, um, an artist or a DJ, you know, after the set, before the set, while it's going on, maybe not, um, you, you know, that, that, that is kind of... That's, that's a new form of interaction. Now, how can you make that mm. manifest in the new physical world? Mm. And is there, is there kind of a live version mm. of that that's non-distracting? You know, it's, it's the sort of VVIP experience, but at scale. Yeah, well, you were talking about being on a buggy at the Virgin Festivals, and you've got, what, signing tents and AAA passes yeah, and, and backstage and all of that kind of gubbins. It's like the virtual but real versions of that. Yeah. I'm just going to throw to another question. Uh, we are live. Do get your questions in. We've got about 25, I think, 30 minutes left. Uh, we're proving we're live because there's lots of building work in the background. So if you're hearing that, I'm sorry. Uh, Johnny Vick says, uh, Luke, for TV and digital campaigns run by you guys on platforms like TikTok, uh, have you got any advice for creators who might not have yet publishing deals uh, to get their music into the pitching process for ads? Oof. Yeah, that's, that's um, it, well, you know, look, I mean, there, is, there are some brilliant uh, agents out there that kind of represent, you know, new musicians, but also uh, directly deal with kind of advertising and sort of content agencies mm -hmm. putting forward new music. I think, um, I think the, yeah, the, the advice would be kind of hunt around mm -hmm. and um, you probably also want to think about what your music you know we were talking earlier about the, the certain type of music you yeah. know being hooky and, and, yeah. and what have you um think about what what the brands and looking at historically the mm. type of communications they put out that you think it's going to be most appropriate for uh, that that isn't the the ultimate answer because you know brands pivot all the time and the way they mm. do their communications can be very different to how they did it last year um and you know there's there's no harm in making approaches to agencies like our own and sort of you know we get them all mm. the time saying oh look we've just put this new track together mm. blah 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 but i think you know naturally if you're getting pick up for it on a platform like tiktok and people are talking about it and those kind of things you, you reference calvin harris um right at the start and yeah. sending a letter you, you know that still works yeah that, that, send that note exactly but if, if you think it's a silly idea do it anyway send the note the email the what whatever version of comms you can get but also there was a thing that went around the other day and it's someone, someone will remind me, it was on Instagram and they effectively had this 30 second scene from American Psycho where Christian Bale's walking and they cut in the same scene on like 12 different times with a different track behind it. And it was just about the importance of music in any televisual piece in film. An example like that is use your tunes, embed them on, on different... Show how they work. Exactly, yeah. and just make your own Instagram or whatever the hell it is, because show. it looks and sounds great, and you're soon going to work it out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do another couple of questions, and we're going to go back to mine. Um, uh, Lee Buxton says, the personal and direct interaction with artists on Twitch is key to its appeal and success. It's like everyone has a 
VIP ticket to hang in the DJ box. That's basically what we're saying, right? Yeah. And so from you, from a perspective of running an agency like you're doing with Drum, I presume then you can speak to, let's say, a Diageo of this world, or whoever it might be, and whatever kind of brand. You go, look how close you can get now. I guess that's a good thing, right? It's a really good thing because, and it obviously depends what you're selling or what, you know, what your brand does. I think, you know, we always say to clients, regardless anyway of whatever they're making, you, you kind of, obviously you've got to think about the audience and you've got to think about how, how valuable that piece of communications will be. You know, is it, is it entertaining? Is it kind of informative? Is it giving the audience some kind of utility? Mm. And that's generally when you're putting a message out there mm. and hoping people kind of tune in. Mm. Um, when you're talking about Twitch and that kind of, you know, live sort of one-to-one, mm. -one, yeah, you have the ability to be much more personal, to, be, to, to kind of land things that are important to maybe not just your mass audience, but on like a one-to-one -one scale. And mm. I'm not talking about, um, you know, specific targeted advertising formats. We're talking about a conversation, right? We're talking, which is almost the most powerful way mm. of connecting with people, mm. you know, since the beginning of time tell your story in a way that people remember it and then pass it on. And to that end, when you, so ignoring a client, like a platform like you have with TikTok, but with other brands, does the platform it ends up on come secondary? Is it still ultimately about the idea first and foremost before you sort of care where it lives or would that be wrong to say? Uh, no, I, think, I, I don't think that's right in every instance because I think, you know, when you're trying to come up with an idea, you might be starting from a place, and this is typically what we would do, uh, with, a, with a platform or um, a distribution partner or you know, an audience in mind. Got Where's you. that audience at? Okay, you know, how are we gonna work with um, you know, moving Got away you. from social platforms, maybe a big publisher, because mm. we know that their audience are, are kind of the right fit for the brand. Mm. And how we package that idea really depends on what they're kind of into now. I mean, the great thing is that Clearly, we, we drown in data about our audiences. You know, we, we, we understand them at a kind of real microscopic level. Um, can that ever be too much? Does it get... Well, it, it, it can if, you, if it leads every communication to be really, really personalised. You know, a, a, a brilliant um, thinker, one of our strategists actually at the agency, uh, much smarter than me, talks about it as in, um, in this way. He says, you know, like, um, messaging needs to be mass you know, but sort of product marketing can be one-to-one. -one. Nice. What, what, what he's trying to point out is that, and I think this is true, when you build brands, whatever your brand is, whatever you're doing, um, you know, whatever products you sell, you, you kind of need a shared consensus of what that brand's about. So, you know, we all know what Defected stands for, mm. right? You know, the quality, the kind of consistency, everything that you, you put out and you know, the great music through to the great virtual and hopefully <laughs> decent kind of uh, yeah. sort of live interviews on Twitch. Um, but we only all know that if we have the sort of shared experience of it. So if you try and target and just talk to individuals one-to-one-to-one-to-one, -to -one -to -one -to -one, you know, your version of Defective might be very different to mine. Yeah. It might be very different to someone else's. So you can't really have, to, to use that sort of hackneyed term, those water cooler moments where everybody understands what it is that brand yeah. represents. And if you don't have that, you can't build a brand. And if you can't build a brand, you know, you, you don't really stand for anything. Um, That's so interesting. And again, this might be a difficult comparison, but going back, albeit a long time, and when you were first learning everything about what it was to work at a record label, mm. albeit a major one and perhaps done slightly differently, but how would that compare? Would the, was there that 
was there that understanding of the potential audience, let alone the care, or was it music will cut through and transcend if it's popular? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, was there yeah, I know, I know what is, mean. was there any crossover? Is it an entirely different game? I, I think I think where music is now, the music industry, to where it was when I was there, you know, is kind of really light years, light years different. I think the, you know, the, the brains in the music industry, mm. the thinking, the kind of idea that I think that you know we've all known forever that artists the, the most you know the biggest in the world are brands in their own right but it uh, certainly from what i saw there was a lot of you know build it and they will come mm. uh we've got product you know there's a great song mm. it's going to land because people love it and also most social didn't exist when i was in the record label at that stage so your gateway to an audience was mass it was tv it was radio you know you might have done a few out of home ads but you know probably didn't need to Whereas now you've got so much competing for people's attention. You know, we've all probably watched every possible box set on Netflix. <laughs> like you said, you flick between different yeah. platforms, consumption channels. So you, you've got to be, you've got to really think about um, if you're an artist, who you are, what you represent, mm. why you're different, all the same as something else. Mm. You know, what, what, obviously the music needs to shine through, mm. but you need to do that in concert with mm. building your brand and, mm. you know, who you are and what you represent. and. Um, whether that's a kind of subculture or whether that is you just kind of going to be mass scale. I mean, I just watched, <laughs> changing subjects, I just watched uh, Framing Britney Spears last night. I found that such a difficult watch. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's, I mean, you, you kind of, I never thought about Britney, to be honest. You no. sort of feel for her. And, it, and I know it, it sort of didn't necessarily wrap it up in, you know, it's still ongoing. Um, but, oh, spoilers. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah. You know, that, that was a purposely built brand around an individual um, and, you know, generated millions and millions and millions of pounds um, mm. of income for her and lots of people. But not every, not every artist, I don't think, you know, thinks that way. There's something interesting as well, though, the relating those two points. When you talk about a platform like a Netflix, there's, uh, there's certain shows, certain programmes on there where, frankly, everything's in the title. And the title becomes basically the reason that you watch it. Or you get, uh, uh, again, certain uh, one-offs or films that absolutely catch fire and have a certain virality, which is almost seemingly almost word of mouth, albeit word of mouth of the conduit of maybe Twitter mm -hmm. or social. Is that relatable to what, again, when you're mentioning, you mentioned at the start of your career, you didn't have social media, it did not exist. Mm -hmm. Broadly, you were doing the same piece of marketing, be it a product or a record or an artist to, to now. Is it absolutely essential now that whatever you put out is like this needs to catch fire through social media? Is that is that baked into that kind of thought? Obviously, when you're doing something like Dura on TikTok, that's a given. That that literally is built for the platform. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think what you have to contend with now is that you know audiences are more fickle. Mm. We, you know, we well well sort of trodden path that our attention spans are incredibly slow. Or certainly for continuous partial attention, it's very yeah. very low. You know, we want to keep flicking. People talk about thumb-stopping creativity. You know, same in, in an audio sense as well. You, you kind of need to capture the attention. But you have to accept that stuff doesn't necessarily, it might catch fire, but it, it blows out, burns out really quickly too. Right. Um, you know, again, really, really old example, but uh, you know, you think about the sort of 16 weeks at the top of the charts, that kind of stuff. and. Um, you know, that's almost <laughs> great. Thank great God we moved on from Brian. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to say it. I'll let you say that one. Um, so, so you want to catch fire. You know, you need to to kind of. We talk about trying to 
create cultural impact for brands, you know, produce stuff that people want to spend a bit of time with and maybe spend a bit of money on. And, you know, if you think about the, the way Netflix, not on everything, but most, or, or Amazon or whatever, they release stuff in these big tranches. You've got the whole series, you can binge watch it over a weekend. You know, there's there's the kind of interesting thought around, well, actually you want to drip feed mm. that stuff and mm. go back to the kind of appointment to view TV mm. watching. There's a new show on Disney Plus, WandaVision, a kind of Marvel show, and it's doing exactly that. Um, and I think that's important because, you know, if you, if you chuck it all into there, then yeah, people are going to engage and talk about it, but then you're like, what's next? You know, that, a month later, what's next? And these things are not cheap. And, you know, Netflix obviously have got billions to spend on content, but not every brand does. No. Um, and even, even more important, I think, when you're talking about a brand bringing communications to the market, you've got that other barrier where, you know, people aren't that bothered about brands. Mm. Not that they're anti them, mm. but sometimes there's just a bit of an apathy mm. towards it. It's like you play a role in my life, but I don't think about mm. it that much. That's what our job's there to do, to help kind of brands navigate mm. that that world and, you know, make sure that connection with their audience is, um, is authentic and, and meaningful. But a, 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 an owning group, a uh, holding group like an Omnicom, I don't know if, if, if this is so much the case, but can you break brands in that era for those reasons? So with records, we, we've been able still to kind of, you know, get records through what might be, you know, the niche of dance onto Radio 1, B-list, A-list, all of that kind of good stuff, even without clubs uh, playing them in this kind of era because you can use the the latent kind of uh, love of a fan base and a big community. And if that community is nearly like 10 million or whatever defectors is, then it means that people can spread it. Do you think the same cause is said full stop or do we have to be in that era, as you say, of the ubiquitous nature of a Netflix or a big social platform that has to do that job with a big title full stop? Uh, you, can, you, you can always break through, can't you? It, it depends on the, the, you know, the product e efficacy. It yeah. depends on the, um, uh, the sort of the way the brand's being constructed, you know, some of the most successful sort of startup businesses you think of, um, uh, oh God, bloody forgot their name now. The oh, craft beer. Oh uh, yeah, uh, uh, Brewdog. Thank you, thank yeah. you. You know, they, they shout obviously- out Brewdog. Yeah, <laughs> shout out Brewdog. <laughs> you know, sort of came from nowhere, exploded, all the rest of it. I think about kind of- you know, Very bold brand though. Like yeah, that's an interesting bold. example as well, because it's like, you're not cutting through, you're punching through, you're smashing through in every respect because like you have get the to. elbows out because yeah. You, yeah, you've got to, and you've got to do stuff that's disruptive. Mm. But, you know, people, it sort of jogs them out of that. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I think so. So you can't just plant the seeds, perhaps you do need a bit of that. There's a, a question from, uh, I think it's Raboza616. Before 2010, you needed an expensive studio to make a record. Nowadays, it's much more accessible, lots more people are able to create music. How do you think this affects record labels? I'll have a thought, but Luke, what do you think? Oh, this feels like a thought I, for you as I well. Like, well, I quite like both. I think uh, the highbrow way of saying that is democratization of creativity, right? Yeah. The fact that, frankly, anyone can use their basic program on the back end of a laptop, which has been going on for quite a while. Yeah. Like the Atari STE, yeah, I seem to yeah, recall, yeah, yeah, was yeah, pretty useful with uh, <coughs> whatever sound program that was. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, 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 personally, I think that's great. Now. I don't know, you've got that, that, what's that act on Twitter that's blowing up? Is it Deco yeah. that's done like the small town boy Wonderwall cross oh, and it's yeah, kind of yeah, going yeah. mad on Twitter? And, but there's a lot of stuff coming out of a lot of platforms that ultimately is basically born from a pandemic. All like Charlie XCX mm. kind of got real infamy by collaborating with fans. Mm, mm. I think that's a great thing, isn't it? That feels yeah. really cool. And Well, look, you know, if it gives people, 
people that couldn't before, you know, democratization of all tech, because we're talking about technology really, you know, and then the ubiquitous nature of it and, you know, whether it's music or whether it's filmmaking or photography, yeah, you can, you can do all of that stuff now. The, the, the kind of point of entry is, is much lower. You don't need a 1970s sort of Giorgio Moroder, you know, three million pound studio or whatever it was it's to set up. It's a shame. <laughs> all the cables and everything. Uh, yeah. um, if it gives people talent, you know, people that have uh, creative kind of finesse, the chance to get ahead where perhaps, you know, they may have been overlooked in the past, they might not have had that opportunity, then brilliant. But I think there's a, there's, I agree with you, there's kind of a role for both. You know, there's the, there's getting an idea, whatever that, however that manifests to market, and then there's making that idea really, really good. Mm. You know, it's like with music production. I mean, mm. I, a couple of years ago, I did an Ableton course um, with a couple of friends. How fun, just, just for, for fun, for hobby sideline thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. And, you know, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is just so difficult. Really? This is gonna take, it's going to take out hours, hours that I don't have. Um, yeah. To kind of, you know, really kind of get to grips with it. And like anything in life, there's kind of, I, I suppose what technology is allowed to happen is that people that have, you know, A, can't get access to it, but B, could be okay, yeah. It's, it's raised the quality of their output. Yeah. But like everything in life, that final sort of five or three mm. percent, mm. the real craft, mm. that's where the expertise comes in. Mm. It's like the production on an album, just those, you know, the, the mastering process, all of those things that just just lift a record, you know, and just just lift the sound. And if you're not if you're not a kind of master of that, you know, you're not going to be able to achieve the same result. I think a lot of that came out of this this period. So whether it be the records being made themselves, like we mentioned, you mentioned a couple of times, artists like Dua. Uh, I remember it's probably literally a year ago, right at the start of the UK lockdown, the kind of beautiful Zoom choreographed. You might have done it. Uh, it was a it was a brilliant kind of music video, yeah. all made up of the components yeah, of Zoom. Point being, stuff like that that at least appears like it's brought together, done on the fly, has a perhaps low-fi bit to it that there's that phrase isn't there you know um creativity from adversity it's yeah. musically that's literally happened in eras certainly in the uk and yeah. beyond and entire scenes have flourished mm. as a consequence of perhaps the times but that, that, that's a good point making something look lo-fi is actually really really difficult yeah. it needs it needs a, a a degree of mastery yeah to make something look like it's been ah, just cobbled together yeah. i think um yeah. Because you need to understand, you know, you almost need to do the better version and then work back from it. Yeah. Uh, I've got a, um, I've got a nine minutes left warning. Thank you very much, producer Sam. Uh, I've got a message from Nessie. Hey, Ness, uh, once we get back to normal, will Defective stream some live festivals on Twitch? Oh, that sounds like a question for me. No questions for me. Questions for guests. Uh, means I have to put my brand hat on. I hope so. Um, uh, yeah, listen, this, this thing we're doing right here isn't going anywhere we can't wait to do this thing properly as we've already talked about uh on some distant shore of even closer to home in london and the uk and beyond but there's clearly still going to be some sort of uh, ability to bring people together from all around the world i think we had like 130 different countries tuning into our virtual festival sort of series each week like you can't ignore that that's lovely so being doing what we can i think uh, there will be great and again, I think pulling it back to the end of kind of the few minutes and get your last few questions in before we end uh, today's session, which hopefully you found informative uh, with Luke today, giving up his time. That kind of stuff, again, if you're now putting 
agency CEO hat on and you're speaking with brands every single day of the week on various phones and Zoom calls and they perhaps are talking to you about use of music or use of artist or interest of label or what. Does all of this mean that at the moment we're in a more uh, tricky place or is it a more rich place? Is this year more exciting or is it bloody hell this is still a challenge? Like where do you stand on all of that? Uh, I mean, I, I said to you when, when we came in, didn't I, James? Uh, yeah. that, um, I feel really excited. I right. feel I feel kind of, you know, I think we're all a little bit underlying apprehension. Mm. But you know what? I mean, obviously the pandemic will be studied for years to come academically, probably in school, all of that stuff, the, the long-term impact mm. of it. And obviously some of it's been terrible. But like you said, creativity from adversity, you know, creativity flourishes usually flourishes in, in difficult times. And the fact that we've now got, you know, this hybrid approach for, for kind of live events and for, you know, music at home, music out in the, the wider domain and, and all forms of entertainment. I think that once the world reopens properly, once we're able to see, physically interact with people and um, go back to a new normal, right? Not the normal that we had before. Um, there's a really exciting mm. future for brands for music, for mm. musicians, you know, for, for all forms of kind of creative and cultural collaboration to and happen. Do, do you think that excitement is felt brand side in terms of their spend? And I, I don't, what I mean there, and again, I think a lot of people listening, it's been a pretty hard time. Yeah. We did a whole bunch, we did a whole series, We Dance one that was effective around the sound engineers, the videographers, the camera, all of the staff mm. across the board affected, displaced mm. by what's been going on hospitality. It trickles down. If yeah, a brand's yeah. spending big money, then some, someone somewhere's going to yeah. be employing that cameraman, which is great news. Do you think that you've got, from the conversations you're having, are they going to go, we're going to not spend our way out of it, but are they confident enough to make good work again? Well, what I would say is that um, compared to this time, well, not this time last year, but nearly this time last year, uh, there's, there's a much higher degree of confidence from brands because there's an end in sight Clearly, the vaccine helps in mm. you know in, uh, around the world and, and in the UK specifically, and so you know while the impact has been really really bad, and we shouldn't sort of gloss over Absolutely. that for, for individuals, for brands, and everything. Um, with the market returning, you know, and, and ad spend forecast to kind of be up by the end of the Is year, um, yeah, yeah, year on year, you know, not quite to the same mm. level as 2019, um, but I think. I hope as well, I think slash hope that we'll see a fast return and fast recovery. I think that what, you know, the, the sort of human condition anyway is that we're, we're quite quick to move on Agreed. and we're quite, we're quite quick to forget about a series of circumstances. Not, you know, completely forget about it, but I wouldn't be surprised if our return to the new normal, a bit like the old normal, once we're allowed to, will be quite swift and rapid. And there'll be a moment of breathe and release and this whole kind of, thank God we can see people again. But then, you know, mm. we, we, we won't f ever forget this period, um, but we will definitely move back to a more normal version of events. Yeah, certainly the British public today uh, and their kind of memes about how they're going to feel on the 22nd of June, exactly. which is probably yeah. quite a comical, yeah. and the state of their, all res their respective hangovers. Take us back, with just a few minutes left, take us back now right to the start. And again, I'm very aware some of our audience, a young audience which I absolutely love. Um, uh, uh, should, they, should they go the route you did? Do, can they get into this quite easily? You mentioned earlier, send that letter that perhaps you didn't send <laughs> back then to Simon Dunmore, but Calvin did, or, you well, know. But it, it did start with a letter. You know, I had to send letters out to kind of be part of, 
you know, the, the, the process for, for the graduate scheme, whatever that looked like 20 odd years ago. Um, because but, but I'm sure many of them are like, gosh, there's jobs been lost across the board in every single country on this planet, and it's quite a foreboding moment. Mm. But from your perspective, are you like, look, it's, it's still a level of playing field, you've got as much chance as anyone. I think, well, I th I th it's definitely harder than it was in our day, for sure. You know, uh, everyone seems much brighter than, <laughs> than, <laughs> yeah. than, than, than you. I wouldn't not going to say you, but certainly, <laughs> definitely certainly than me. Um, and, you know, competition is rife. And, and, but, but by the same token, new roles, new careers, new categories have emerged and emerge on a daily basis that... You know, there'll be jobs that don't exist now that will exist in two years' time. There'll be stuff that businesses that have started in the pandemic um, that will be growing from it. There's always an opportunity. Um, you know, is it more competitive? Yeah, arguably more than it was. And is it tougher because people have lost their jobs or, you know, been furloughed for months and, you know, may or may not have come back from it? You know, that, that, is, that is a really unfortunate backdrop. Um, How can they prove their worth? I often say, for example, people perhaps in a slightly different space, but you just have to do physically get stuff down, be it on screen, in whatever way, shape or form you can. The more stuff, the better, and the more varied you look, the better. But that's my perspective. Would you kind of agree? It's, basically, it's more than a CV, right? Yeah, it is, it's definitely more than a CV. I think, um, yeah, be active, be, be, be proactive. Yeah. And, um, you hear stories, don't you, of all the knockbacks that people have had in trying to kind of, you know, three, 300 applications for a role. It's not going to be easy, but you can definitely do everything you can to put, if it's a portfolio of work, if you're kind of a creatively minded individual, mm. putting that front and centre. Like I said at the start, you know, seek advice, asking for advice from people that you know or don't know, or, or, or you know, sort of going and saying, oh, look, I, I really want to kind of showing willing, showing willing to, to, to sort of learn will, will go, you know, a long way. Mm. And I think um, you have to be prepared right now, I think, to maybe pivot. You might want to get here, but you might have to take a slightly, slightly alternative route in order to get to that place. Mm. Um, That's that, good advice. Because, because if it brings you to the end result, and you might find, yeah. by the way, on that journey, that the place you thought you wanted to get to... Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, I never, I never, never intended to be where I am today. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. part of a grand master plan, um, yeah. and I'm really, you know, pleased I am, and likewise, I'm sure for you too. 100. percent But it, it wasn't all mapped out in the stars. No, it never is. It's very easy with hindsight, but it's. Uh, yeah. I think that's a really nice place, perhaps, to end on. Well, in fact, there's there's one last point rather than a question. Uh, Michelle Smith says. I hope the live streams don't go or stop when the lockdown ends. I'll still be twitching. I've met some lovely friends that I'd never have met without these chat rooms. And I was like, what a nice thing that is. Yeah. I think the proximity that social sometimes gives. Social gets a lot of bad rep. Yeah. But the idea of bringing people together like that and physically meeting people for the first time and making friends is great. I'm going to leave on that positive note. Luke Southern, thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, we are back on Thursday, 1pm GMT, with Phil Christie, president of Warner Music UK. Hope you can join us then. Thank you so much. See you then.